0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. And have you ever known someone who has gone through something particularly intense, uh, an extremely difficult season of life? And maybe you've wondered, how did they endure that time? Or maybe you've known some of the details of what happened in a trying season of someone's life, but you wondered. What was that person thinking as that was going on? And as a church, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and I've been finding myself asking these sorts of questions of Paul as he goes from place to place uh, establishing new churches on this missionary journey. Uh, And in, in Acts, many of the details of the Apostles Paul missionary journeys have been recorded. ...throughout the book of Acts. We know who his companions are... ...what cities he visits... uh, ...how long he stays in each place... uh, ...the people who receive the good news of Jesus... ...and those who reject that message violently. We've heard about riots... ...we've heard about imprisonments and beatings... ...we've heard about miracles and salvation... ...as well as strife. And so through it all... ...again and again... The refrain has been, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. But I have been asking over this season, what was Paul thinking? How did he respond in his mind to these difficult and diverse challenges? How did he view the people that he encountered or he worked with or in some cases that he left behind? Unfortunately, we don't have to merely wonder. Because Paul wrote letters to those churches that grew out of his obedient work for God in those areas. And so in the same places where there were riots that drove Paul out, the word of the Lord remained and increased and prevailed. And Paul himself shed some light for us on his own interpretation of what happened in these difficult times in the various letters that he writes to the churches. So this morning, we're we're stepping out of our uh, regular series through Acts, but I thought it would actually be a really great opportunity to do something interesting and to review some of what has happened in the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth, which we've learned about already and covered in Acts 16, 17, and 18. But what I'm excited about, especially this morning, is the opportunity to compare these, res- or these events that happened, as outlined in Acts, to the introductions that Paul writes to each of the letters, uh, to the letters that he writes to each of those churches in those areas. So those were the cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. But so this morning, we're gonna read just the first few verses from Philippians 1, First Thessalonians 1 and First Corinthians 1. And we'll see that Paul and each of the unique churches face great hardship. But though they face great hardship, they have great joy as they depend on God's grace and His faithfulness to transform them and sustain them in Jesus. So let's start by reading Acts 12. Verses, uh, sorry, nope, <laughs> we're going to read <laughs> Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. "...I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." we see that the affection of Christ means that even tremendous personal hardship is a gift of God's grace to bring others into deeper maturity in Christ. So after his introduction, Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is astonishing to me, especially when we consider what exactly he is remembering about his time in Philippi. We study these events in Acts 16. This was the city where there wasn't even a Jewish synagogue. Where Paul cast out an evil spirit from a slave girl and for his trouble he was beaten and arrested and shackled. So why does Paul thank God When he thinks about all of this. He tells us in verse 7. He says it is God's grace at work in him and in the believers in Philippi. Both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This was God's grace. This was God's grace. How Paul... How was, was that God's grace? What's well, God's grace, Paul says in verse 8, because of the yearning affection of Christ Jesus for the people of Philippi. Yes, Paul endured beatings and accusations. He endured prison and shackles. But more importantly than what he endured, God was at work. There was a miraculous earthquake, remember, as well. Not to free him, but to save the jailer and his family. It wasn't pointless. Everything that he endured, Paul sees that the events of Acts 16 were orchestrated by God. And they weren't even primarily about him. They were about Jesus beginning a transformative work among the people of Philippi. Of Lydia and the jailer and his household. Of the unnamed people who just worshipped by the river. Paul recognizes the grace of God at work. He joyfully remembers entering into prison. And how as a result, God freed the hopeless from the prison of their sin and death. That is what gives him joy, friends. When he thinks about the time that he spent in Philippi, it is with great joy. Because Paul was part of God's plan to make himself known. And, and there was it was incredible that how God did this using Paul. There wasn't even a synagogue in Philippi where the people could have gone to hear the name of Yahweh. And so yearning with affection, Christ Jesus made a way for those people to come to know him. But God doesn't even stop with simply taking the lost out of prison. He frees them for another purpose, transforming them. Paul says in verse 6 that he is sure that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Jesus not just rescues Lydia and the jailer from their sin, but he begins to transform Lydia and the jailer and Paul himself into partners in the gospel, Paul says in verse 5. So the church in Philippi is not meant to remain as a baby church. They're not going to stay there. He wants them to mature in their faith and to become partners in the gospel, just like Paul. How will they do this? Through prayer. (laughs) Paul prays in verse 9 through 11 that their love would look like Jesus' love, abounding more and more with knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent and pure and blameless. But Paul reminds them that this fruit of righteousness, that he calls it, comes not from themselves, but through Jesus Christ. And two, the glory and the praise of God. So friends, how can Paul remember Philippi with joy? Because in that time, he saw the grace of God at work. The transforming love of Christ Jesus, which will go to any lengths to redeem those who weren't even looking for him. And to make them not prisoners, but partners. Just like Paul was made a partner in the gospel. So friends, if you ask those people who have endured great hardship with joy. I bet that they will tell you that through it, they recognize God's grace. And even his affection. They see that he is making partners in the gospel they see that through their suffering though it's painful it's not purposeless and so that is how we can apply this message this morning know that the affection of Christ Jesus will transform how you see the grace of God even in affliction I confess that often the last thing on my mind when I'm faced with hardship is how God's grace is at work. My first thought is how I am affected. How can I resolve this issue and remove it from my life? But friends, God has no less orchestrated my life and your life than he did the Apostle Paul's. To make partners in the gospel. And friends, he has no less affection for me and for you and for the lost who are all around us than he did in that day. So ask yourself, how has God uniquely placed you to preach the gospel? How has God made you a partnership in that gospel? And so this week, I challenge you to focus your heart and your mind on the grace of God in whatever you face and on the affection of Christ. And what will happen, friends, when we do that? How does trusting in the grace of God cause joy even in affliction? Does it remove that suffering? No. (laughs) No, it does not. But the spirit works in power and in conviction, maturing you in the Lord and expanding the kingdom of God far beyond anything that you could ever imagine God would use you to do. And that's what we'll see in the next letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. We'll look at this next church that Paul visits and what he writes to them. And we'll see that in Paul's introduction to this church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. We will see the Holy Spirit of God at work in the brothers. Both assuring salvation and testifying to God's glory to the end of the earth. So read these with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace. We give thanks to God always, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living And true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. In these verses we see the brothers receive the word of the Lord. With joy. And imitate Christ. Even in their affliction. Which continues to mature them and to spread the message throughout the world. Here again in verse two, Paul does something amazing. He gives thanks to God. This time he thanks God that they, the church in Thessalonica, remain steadfast in the Lord Jesus with joy Though they face much affliction. What was the context of this affliction? Well, Paul references it in verse nine here where he says that the report of the kind of reception that we had among you has spread. So that reception, you may remember, was detailed in Acts 17. What happened there was that a mob formed and they rioted in the city And they attacked the house of Jason, one of the brothers there. And they demanded that Paul be turned over to them. And yet the brothers protected Paul. And they had their money taken and confiscated to keep them in line. So here both Paul and the local church experience very real and personal affliction. And yet Paul says... That he sees it as proof that they are both loved and chosen by God. How, Paul? How does this prove that these people are loved and chosen by God? Oh, that was close. (laughs) (laughs) He says in verse 6 that they had become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Do you see? It's not the absence of affliction. But it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that is proof in the midst of affliction of God's love and his promise of transformation. As we learned from the first section, God is in the business of transforming his people into his own likeness. That is the likeness of Jesus. They became imitators of Jesus. Jesus, who received the word of God with joy, although it meant his own suffering and death on this earth. Jesus, who loved With such great affection that he bore not just death, but the shame of the cross. For the sake, friends, of our salvation. Jesus, who made a way that we could become children of God through him. And as these brothers imitate this love of God's word... And of God's own chosen people above their own worldly interests. They prove, as it says in verse 5, that the gospel came not only in word, but in power. And with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. They prove it, friends, because they would not and they could not do this on their own. And what is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in their life? We see that they turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. It says in verse 9. And it still doesn't stop there. In verse 8, Paul says that the word of the Lord sounded forth from them throughout Macedonia. And that their faith had gone forth everywhere. What a powerful witness Jesus has created here among the Thessalonican church. The brothers in Thessalonica have become full partners in the gospel. So how does that apply to us this morning? Friends, firstly, receive the word of God with joy. Don't reluctantly let go of your idols. But do it with joy. Your plans for the future aren't as good as God's plans. So turn them over to him joyfully. Stop believing that your sin is any less damning than the sin of those around you. But joyfully believe that Jesus alone can transform you. Take joy in the ways that you have matured in God's work in your life as he has chosen you. Take joy in how God does not leave you where you are, but he continues to sanctify you. And that brings us to our second application this morning. Friends, become imitators of Jesus. So when you are frustrated with the 11,000th time that your kids interrupt you, maybe 12, I don't know, (laughs) imitate Jesus and patiently serve them. Friends, when you are taken advantage of at your work or you are not recognized for the efforts that you have done, imitate Jesus. And humbly work, not for man, but for God. When you face anger or misunderstanding from strangers, or even from those who you love dearly, imitate Jesus. And let go of the need to be proven right before them. But depend on God to judge in His timing. And friends, I assure you that as you endeavor to love in these ways, you won't be able to. You can't. But that's a good thing. Because you are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit who is doing this transforming work in your life. And so you must become more steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus. Because friends you will fail. But you will depend more and more on him. And so you will be transformed more and more into his image. Which is exactly how you can be certain. That he has, tra- he has chosen you. And he will be faithful to complete in you. The good work that he began. And that brings us to our final section this morning. The third church. The letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. And here we will see that the foundation of that certainty is based on the faithfulness of God. Certainty not because of our own worthiness or faithful effort. But because of the scripture which confirms the faithfulness of God. So we'll review Acts 18 and read 1 Corinthians verses, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's read that together this morning. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful in whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see here that the completion of the gifts of God is rooted entirely in the faithfulness of God. This morning we started these letters to the baby church of believers in Philippi who depended solely on God's grace to mature in their... or to, to, to grow in their maturity. That's where we started. And we saw in the church of Thessalonica a church that was assured in that growth in their imitation of Christ. How? Through the grace of God. And finally, here we are in Corinth, and we see the fulfillment of all speech and all knowledge and every gift. How? Again through the grace of God who is faithful So in the city of Corinth, Paul says in verse 6... ...that the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Remember from Acts 18, the context of this is that Corinth is where Paul testifies... ...and the message of Christianity was vindicated as an authentic Jewish fulfillment... ...not just by the Roman authorities but also by two separate rulers of the synagogue. This is where we see this confirmation of Paul's message. But let's ask ourselves one more time, what does Paul think about his experiences there? Well, I bet you can guess how he feels about it. Verse 4, I give thanks. To my God always because of the grace of God that you received in Christ Jesus. Really, it's the same thing again, Paul. Grace again. How is this the same? Aren't these churches completely different? Aren't the circumstances completely different, Paul? How is this the same? Verse 7 says that the church in Corinth was not lacking any gift. And yet, the grace of God is no less the thing that they must depend on. So even though this isn't a baby church, even though this isn't a confident but maturing church, this is a faithfully matured, adult, sanctified church Surely now they have arrived. They can start depending on their own independence to sustain them. Nope. Paul says in verse 7 and 8 that they must wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain them to the end. By the faithfulness of God. And by the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9. The attitude is exactly the same. As you grow in maturity, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, dependence on the grace of God leads you into deeper dependence, which leads you into deeper dependence, which leads you into deeper dependence dependence on the grace of God. So how does this apply to us this morning? Well, the application is the same for wherever you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon the grace of God through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not yet know the Lord, call upon the grace of God through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you are a baby believer who has no history or experience with the things of God. Call upon the grace of God through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you're here this morning and you are certain of God's call on your life. And you want to experience the fullness of his plan to use you in his kingdom. Call upon the grace of God. Through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have been enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge. And you are not lacking in any gift. Call upon the grace of God. Through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it is all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our afflictions or our self-righteousness. It's not even about our maturity or our weakness. It's about Jesus. And so for our final application this morning, I challenge myself and you as well to make it all about Jesus. In your suffering, in your affliction, or in your marriage, or in your job, or in your home, or even if you are just waiting for Jesus to be revealed. Friends, let's put ourselves aside and let's ask that the grace of God through Jesus becomes the focus of our whole lives. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that this morning here for myself and for all of us here. God, may your grace be the thing that sustains us. Lord, that drives us forward through affliction, through suffering. God, through uncertainty. Lord, we depend utterly on your grace. And so God, I pray That your son, Jesus, that he would be the one that we focus our whole thoughts and our money and our time and our choices on, Father God. That Jesus would be the center of everything that we do. Lord, and we recognize that that is impossible for us to do on our own. We need you, God, to make that transformation in our lives. So we ask that of you here this morning to please transform us And take your rightful place on the throne, God. Amen.